Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. In this episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast, sustainable supply chain management and solutions are the topic as I sit down with the founder and CEO of Terran Industries, Ivana Jane. Terran Industries is out of Australia and implements a business-to-business solution to provide companies with eco-friendly and sustainable alternatives to single-use plastics and other synthetic goods. They focus on end-to-end sustainable supply chain and resilient solutions. I've been talking a lot about the importance of implementing sustainable solutions within businesses because I truly believe that companies will play one of the most important roles in making our world more sustainable. Supply chains are a huge part of that, and I think you'll find this episode very interesting as we learn more about the roles supply chains play in climate change and when they are not done sustainably, and also about some improvements that can be made to make them more sustainable. Let's get started on this episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast with Terran Industries founder and CEO, Ivana Jane. Ivana, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for the invite. It's great to be here. And Ivana, can you just please give us a, a little bit of a background uh, about yourself? And then, of course, what all the great work that you're doing over in Terran Industries and, and what it is exactly that Terran Industries does. So we're basically an outsourced sustainability team in the broad sense of the term. We started the business when we realized that while bus- a lot of businesses have a green will, they don't have the time or resources to provide the execution strategy. So we come in and provide end-to-end implementation support and really transition the business into the green economy. For me, I've always been sustainability-minded, and when I entered the workforce in my early 20s, I realized that a lot of other businesses didn't have a clue. So I really wanted to build something around that and be able to actually help businesses execute their green goals. Yeah, it's fantastic and something we need more of as well. I know you and I were talking in, in the past uh, in, in a previous conversation and I had mentioned over in, in London and in Manch and what they're doing to help people implement their kind of philanthropy money and things of that nature. And then when I heard your solution, I was like, oh, that's really cool to actually put that implementation in the execution because I feel like that's something that we lack uh, from time to time. Uh, much good intention as companies have, sometimes the execution just isn't there. So it's always great to have a, a solution like yourself and what you're doing with Terran Industries. And Ivana, you mentioned that sustainability has always been a passion of yours and something that you've kind of really, really uh, liked as well. Take me through kind of the journey that you had to where you were finally like, you know what, I'm going to go in and and create a company to kind of solve this problem and and kind of come up with something to help uh, these companies go towards a more greener economy. Well, we really started it when we were forming the idea of the business, we were looking around like we wanted to create something in the sustainability sector. Um, and there was all these other, um, other amazing solutions already out there, uh, like lots of eco-friendly product replacements from like, your basic needs to like your wind-powered freight ships, for example. Um, and circular economy was coming around. There was a lot of implementation solutions provided 
but it was really came back to the gap that we found really was businesses trying to find these solutions. I mean, you, you Google sustainability, there's hundreds of thousands of results and some of these solutions are so niche, you'd never find them unless you knew they existed. We really created the idea around, it, it started as almost a procurement platform, um, but it just evolved into more of that because there was a lot of it out there that you couldn't put on a platform or you couldn't just, it's more strategy and execution rather than simple solution. So that's where we evolved into something more of a, a full outsource transition team. Interesting. Yeah. And and I know a lot of your, your clients and the companies that you work with are, are have to do a lot with the supply chain as well and, and kind of what you do there and in terms of making quite literally that circular economy go and making sure that, you know, import exports, all that type of good stuff is good. And then, of course, just getting products and goods and things of that nature as well. So what are current issues with the supply chains that maybe the everyday consumer or company may not know about if they don't have an extensive supply chain? What makes a supply chain so detrimental to climate change? 80% of global emissions come directly from supply chains, primarily manufacturing and logistics. And 20% of emissions, global emissions alone, comes from transport. Um, and so we really need to, I suppose, revolutionise the entire transport sector. And that'll definitely be key to helping decarbonise. And the, the trade and logistics industry is the backbone of every industry out there. And no matter what you do, somehow trade is involved, um, whether it's supply chains from other countries or even just getting your coffee cups from a local supply, there is still that transport logistics network that still has to take place. So it's really coming down to the manufacturing of it and what emissions are created. I mean, you look at China, for example, they create a lot of emissions coming out of there because that's where a lot of the manufacturing is. They, the air quality over there is questionable, <laughs> to put it one way. So being able to centralise that somehow would actually help the help the global emissions reduction in the supply chain. Yeah, it sounds like it would also help uh, air quality and people's overall health as well. Yeah, that, that's a huge impact that people don't realise. And people, like uh, some of the people that where environmental protection isn't important is, can basically turn around and say, well, what about your quality of life? It's just still the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the same could be said over in India as well for air quality and things of that nature. And, and it's certainly something that it kind of, you know, is circular, like you said, not just from an economic perspective, but from a humanity perspective as well. Just those impacts that kind of get brought in together. It's all really kind of connected in, in many ways on that front. So uh, we talked about kind of unsustainable things are to the supply chains and whatnot. And what are some of the things that you kind of see amongst your clients and, and what you saw before and whatnot that are some of the biggest challenges that they face when they when they have a good plan that they want to execute and really bring forward and, and make sure that they have a better solution for it, but they just don't really know how to do it. What seems to be kind of the, the top problems that your clients will kind of talk to you uh, all about? The biggest problem we found is investment. Uh, a lot of people think that green change will cost too much. And while the any change will have an investment, I mean, that's no matter what. So it's really coming back to the need for why we need to invest in this change. And like, there's this huge misconception that the technologies aren't available today. Well, they are, they are available. I, I like to say, like, compare it to a mobile phone, for example. Everyone has a mobile phone in their pocket today. Ten years from now, yes, the technology will be better. You just upgrade the model when you get there. I mean, that's 
basic technology steps. You're not going to go without a mobile phone today simply because you know there's going to be a better one coming out next year. It is about putting in place today what is already available, which will dramatically help, and then being able to upgrade to the next stage later on. Yeah, exactly. That's And that's really how technology works. I, I know uh, somebody that I know got the F-150 Lightning from Ford, the new electric uh, vehicle and whatnot. And, you know, they started mentioning like, oh, well, I can only go so far without it being charged and all things of that nature. And all stuff. And I was like, it's it's their first model. You know, like, what do you, what do you, I mean, it's just going to continue to get better. So you can't just say that the technology is not good when it's just going to get better. So I definitely agree with you there when it comes to uh, the matter of kind of that technological steps and kind of the common ways that things should kind of be uh, kind of moving forward on that front too. And, and you know, what, uh, Ivana, one thing that we've mentioned a few times that I want to maybe clear things up for uh, the listeners in case they may not know and whatnot, but uh, can you define what exactly is a circular economy and, and why it's kind of so important to uh, create that moving forward to to battle climate change and, and make sure that there's better air quality and all those types of good things? To start with, we need to look at, so, okay, you've got circular economy, but what is it? So let's take a step back and have a look at what is a linear economy because lin- a linear economy is what we currently have, which is make a, made up of make, take, dispose, repeat. So nothing gets reused. You, you buy something from the shop, you use it and it goes into landfill. And circular economy is really about changing that and swapping it around. In the longer term, circular economy will ultimately replace recycling. To make it, I suppose, suppose in a a way of putting it, a circular economy is endless recycling. But you take that recycle, because recycling today is still, you recycle it one or two times and then it still ends up in landfill. The idea of circular economy is that there will never be anything going to landfill. You'll always be able to reuse the material asset in one form or another, whether you make it into a brand new product or integrate it into something else solution. But either way, it's kept out of landfill, so all materials are kept in use in a circular fashion. Uh, that's really great and interesting on that front that there's kind of no, if you will, expiration date at times. You know, it's kind of like a self-imposed expiration date that we kind of put on ourselves then to say, oh, well, it's done. We don't want to reuse it because we don't want something else that somebody else used or whatever. And now it's kind of changing it. So how much of that do you find when you're talking about it, when you hear the investment concerns about the money, right? And then you concern about how much that costs and then how much of all the things that you do for your clients has to do with the education in terms of kind of explaining to them how important that circular economy is, like you just mentioned, and saying that, hey, it's not going to cost a bunch of extra money like you think it's going to be. Yeah, and the, the investment will, will be the key, absolutely. And being able to educate as well is a huge important step. And another thing when I entered the workforce, I realized there were a lot of people out there who didn't have a basic understanding of sustainability. In some way, it will be a bit of a generational thing, but there's the same with any industry, really. There's always new technologies coming out. There's always new advancements coming out. There's always new research coming out. So to be able to really stay on top of all that research, okay, yes, it's hard. We've got a couple of academics on our team, so we can manage it, (laughs) which makes it a lot easier. Um, But it really does come down to keeping the basic education out there. So even if they don't, need to read every scientific release that comes out, being able to have a basic understanding of the world today is really critical to know, for, for, for the economy even, to know where to go in the future and what investments to make as to how we're actually going to 
live peacefully and with good quality of life moving forward. Yeah, I think you, you said something there that really interests me and it interests me because of a, a recent book I read and things of that nature. And that, that book is called How It Really Works. And it talks a lot about um, the supply chain. It talks a lot about our material goods. It talks a lot about manufacturing. It talks a lot about kind of all those things uh, as well on that front. And I, I would be curious in your professional expertise and, and just, you know, going about everyday life and things of that nature as well. How, I guess, misconceived is what people think how the world kind of really works in terms of supply chain? You know, I think a lot of people, when they think of supply chain, they just think import, export, they think landfill recycling, you know, and all that. Like, how much more complex is it compared to kind of what maybe the the average person might think? Because I know when I read this book and I was learning all about, you know, what was being used with carbon and steel and aluminum and plastics and, and all those things, I was really surprised at how in-depth everything was that was connected versus what I just kind of thought, like you said, and maybe that's what I'm supposed to think because it's a linear economy we live in versus kind of just you get something, it gets built, it brings it over, but yet this has an effect here and here. So I guess what I'm trying to ask, long-winded question, but what I'm trying to ask is just how much do you find that people may not actually know how the world actually works, even from a business perspective with business owners you talk to? Let's take a quick time out to talk about my book recommendation for this week. I want to highlight The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. The Intelligent Investor is one of the most important and popular books on investing in the U.S., and was a very insightful read. It's pretty easy to get lost into the stock market and feel like you have an opportunity to outperform and beat the market. This is especially true if you started to invest during the pandemic like so many did. However, you learned quickly the most recent bear market that it is certainly not that easy. Graham does a fantastic job at teaching you mindsets about how you should approach investing and become more of an defensive investor and minimize your risks as much as possible with the long-term investing horizon. It's a book that Warren Buffett calls the best book on investing ever written, and it's tough to argue against Buffett's results. I recommend this to anyone that's involved in the stock market or is looking to start investing today. So now let's jump back into the episode with Terran Industries founder, Ivana Jane. I think that the world is a lot more complicated than any, than anyone really thinks. I mean, you take you take your basic products that might have been imported from overseas. That's one step backwards. Before that, where was the manufacturing facility, and then the logistics from the manufacturing facility to the distributor? Before that, where did the material supply chain come from to get to the manufacturer in the first place? Are those imported from another country to get to the manufacturer to get to the distributor to get taken to overseas to send out to the end user? Supply chain is extremely complicated um, and a lot of the time, and unless a company is very transparent about their materials sourcing and a lot of them are now, a significant amount are now moving forward to that transparency it is what a lot of consumers want these days. It is coming back to sometimes the honesty of the original supplier back from the materials sourcing. I mean, it depends where it came from initially. How do we know that material wasn't sourced using slave labor? And not every time will that company be transparent as it moves up the supply chain and then gets to the user. Sometimes it really, it really does go back to that transparency of is the original supply chain honest about where the material came from? And 90% of the time they are. Um, it, it's, it just really goes back to the, like the logistics in between and it's like 
five, six, seven steps backwards. And some some products are made of a multiple multitude of different materials that could have come from opposite sides of the planet. So it is, it, it's complicated is the basic way of putting it. <laughs> I, I find it really fascinating, really, especially because of the, the, the current issues that we're having now with the, the supply chain and getting goods and the cost of goods are high and all of that type of stuff. And, you know, you hear everybody around you complaining about how priced it is and they can't understand how it could possibly just go. And, and in my head, I'm like, I'm, I guarantee this person probably can't even explain the first step, but now they even get the product going, you know, and so... I find it really interesting on that and, and something that I've been wanting to learn a little bit more on. But I would love to dive a little bit more into how you make the supply chain more circular and how you make it more green and how you make it more sustainable moving forward as well. So you told us a little bit uh, you know, about um, you know, what Terran Industries does, but I would love for you to kind of just take us through kind of a mock or kind of step by step of that first interaction with the potential clients and then kind of taking it through the onboarding process and kind of maybe... Uh, how that looks to a certain degree of how you serve your clients to provide those solutions effectively um, to the challenges that these companies face within their supply chains and other ways through sustainability. So we really like to look at sustainability or green transition as climbing a ladder, one step at a time. And you can't be 100% sustainable tomorrow. That's practically impossible. I mean, the larger your business is, the more things there are to network and change and interact with. So usually the first thing we like to do, we'll go in and see where they are on their sustainability journey, what they've got in place, um, what their current supply chain is and what their current emissions output is. There's quite a few software platforms out there that once you plug in and set up, it'll measure your emissions output for you. So depending on the software as well, it might go back and track your entire supply chain use on available data. Uh, and those are a really good place to start because then we take that data and use that to further implement solutions and projects further down the line. So our, our business model, we work on a flat monthly subscription so it can actually work with the business over a time frame that will benefit the business. Because coming in for two weeks and making a whole lot of changes doesn't work for anyone and statistics show that quick, large changes don't stick. So working on that open timeline allows us to really work with the business and further implement strategies and solutions, starting with the small ones and working up to the larger ones or working on new projects. Um, or an another example of working further down, the company might have a contract in place with a certain supplier until a certain date. So we can start looking for alternatives to that example if it's a plastic one we'll find a non-plastic alternative for that supply chain so do you all look at yourselves then almost as like a, an extension of the company then for the clients that you serve because it sounds like to me that you know you really do get involved with the company and what they're working on and, and it shows that you probably care and a lot of really good commitment to that company as well so is it kind of the way that you kind of approach it and look at your yourselves when you're serving your clients yeah absolutely we we do promote ourselves and it's an extension of their team we regularly work with um, for executives use to a lot of, a lot with procurement teams where especially on the supply chain side project managers to execute new initiatives um, sometimes a business will have internal sustainability personnel already so we a lot of the times they have that data to start with so we can then use that data and then further implement the solutions but yeah absolutely we're an extension of the company's team yeah fantastic i think that's such a really cool model as well on that front um to, to really kind of empower your clients too and show that you care in the commitment process of it instead of selling that kind of hey we'll give you a, a four-week 
makeover, if you will, for lack of a better word, and then, you know, keep to it, implement it. Instead, you're, you're really kind of holding them accountable with that subscription model and say, hey, we're a part of your team and, you know, we're going to implement these changes and make sure that it's going to stick as well and teach you along the way, which I think is uh, a really valuable, really valuable business model on that front too. And uh, you mentioned, we've, well, we've talked about supply chain quite a lot. You've mentioned freight, transport, all things of that nature earlier on, but what are some kind of specific industries uh, maybe within the supply chain or maybe, maybe not in supply chain uh, that you all typically work with and why they are important to the supply chain practices? Well, most of our clients are in the freight trade logistics manufacturing space. So by working with them, we are in fact helping as many industries as we can by solving what we call scope three. The, the scopes of emissions, you've got scope one, which is directly controllable by the company. So your your small things on site. Scope two is your energy use and your, the next stage that you have some control over. Scope three is your entire back supply chain, the things you can't control. So by working with the freight logistics and manufacturing industries, we're essentially solving everyone's scope three. By working with them, we're helping every single company that uses logistics and supply chain somehow. And for us, we see that as the way of creating the largest global impact we can. And mo most of our clients are in that sector. We do often also work with tourism, education, and agriculture as well. Interesting. Yeah, the tourism and the agriculture one. Yeah, that's not tourism. I feel like is getting more and more of a, an emphasis when it comes to sustainability and things of that nature as well. I see that quite a lot. I'm someone who travels a lot and I notice that the tourism industry is kind of popping off a little bit, if you will, for lack of a better uh, word on that front. Is that something that you kind of see as well? More interest in the last few years in that or am I a little off base here? I think in the last 18 months, it's really now that the world's opening up again, really. Mm -hmm. everyone's starting to look at tourism and say oh like because a lot of people during the lockdowns and during the last two years really decided like that they, they saw the world for what it was they realized that hey we actually can do something to help the planet and the lockdowns really woke a lot of work a lot of people up um so now that they're coming out again they are looking at all like regular industries with a new eye and being restricted to one place, everyone's suddenly wanting to travel again. So tourism really is along on the front of a lot of people's minds when it comes to, oh, how can we make this more sustainable now? What, what is the next step to really travel sustainably to visit sites and you know, logistics? Again, there is a bit of travel involved with tourism quite often, how that can be more sustainable. Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna have to follow up with you on that in the future as well in another 18 months to see if it's continued to uh, kind of blossom, if, if you will, as well there. Ivana, you've talked to obviously a lot about how you kind of go in, how you work with the companies. You've talked about the services that you all kind of provide on that front as well. Um, but one thing that about your services that I found interesting on your website and things of that nature that I'm not sure everybody would know about is the different types of waste services that there are specifically in tied to recycling, whether that would be construction recycling, whether that's uh, textile recycling, uh, wood, whatever it kind of might be. Can you just kind of elaborate a little bit more on the kind of differences in recycling there and, and you know, why they are different? Because I think sometimes when people hear the word recycling, uh, they might just think, oh, it's just one big thing. You just recycle it. And that's that's it. You know, it's everything. It's all encompassing. Yeah, there really is. Every material really does need to be treated differently. Uh, and that's the basis of what it comes down to. Most businesses will recycle cardboard and paper. A few 
a few will also recycle hard plastics, some soft plastics, uh, and those are really the two waste streams that most people have set up to recycle. At this stage, most of the rest, unfortunately, still goes to landfill. But there really is, at this stage, almost everything can be recycled um, or into a circular economy perspective. Uh, one example is food and organics. Um, there, there are composting facilities set up. Some businesses do have on-site composting available, um, but the real trick to it is, okay, where does that get composted to? Um, for example, there's one company here in Melbourne who has implemented a full circular economy solution to food and organics waste. They've set up a facility over here which basically involves them taking food and organic waste to their facility where they breed black soldier flies that then eat off the waste and then the larvae just grow out of that. And then that the end use or the end product then created, it can be used for fertilizer in agriculture. So that's, that's actually a really good example of circular economy and how businesses can really recycle these often considered hard to recycle material streams. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like the more people learn about the kind of the circular economy and recycling and being able to reuse materials, the more interested I think they would get and the more inclined I think they would be to kind of go out and do that. You know what hell I heard of a a company that's working on getting it so when you when you die and you get your ashes or you get buried, you become a tree. Um and like that's quite literally a circle of life. <laughs> I, I have heard of them. It's actually a really great initiative. I mean, you look at how many people are alive on the planet today, we're probably going to run out of burial space soon. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not a bad idea to re keep, replace it with a tree, right? Exactly. Uh, I'm, I am all for that solution. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I found it really interesting. And, and again, and that the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, I went down kind of that rabbit hole that we're talking about now and recycling and, you know, I stumbled upon it and I was like, oh, wow. So, I, you know, I do think that once people learn about it, they'll be able to kind of go through and start to implement more of those practices, even at a local level, through business level, through corporate level. Uh, I want to talk to you, too, a little bit about how a company right now, so say that there's a company that's, where they're listening, the founder's really interested, they want to be more sustainable with the way that they uh, interact within their company and then also the way that they get their goods and things of that nature and their products. You know, what are some tips that you would give them to begin with creating kind of like a sustainability roadmap so that they can start to efficiently, efficiently implement it? The, at the earliest stage, it's really good to just see where you're at and we're starting to provide a self-assessment quiz so businesses can see where they are on their journey and then both them and us can use that data to further implement solutions. But it really comes down to small things first. Small, little eco-friendly product replacements, like your basic cleaning materials, your basic office equipment. Uh, instead of going down to the store and buying another pen, most like 99.9% .9 of pens are made of plastic. So there are other alternatives out there if you just know where to find them. So those little product swaps at the beginning can make a lot of difference. The, the next easiest step is to really set up some kind of software solution that can track your ESG, can track your emissions output. And that, that data really provides the groundwork for any knowledge moving forward, any strategies moving forward. Th those simple things are the best first steps to make. Yeah, it makes sense just to really assess where you're at and reassess what you're currently doing in ways that you can actually optimize and improve kind of on your own before 
you know, really getting into maybe more of the complicated supplies and uh, chain stuff and things of that nature as well. I think, yeah, you're right. That's a fantastic first step on that front too. And and what are some challenges um, that you all have been facing, uh, you know, recently when it comes to your own business and your own kind of, you know, whether that would be, you know, attracting new clients or kind of getting your messaging out there or, you know, educating uh, your clients or potential clients about the fact that, hey, you don't need all this investment to do so, to make these changes on that front too. So what are some challenges that you've kind of faced as a founder and then uh, as a company as well with Heron Industries? Well, we are a new company. We're only two and a half years old at the moment. So a lot of us, our problems or challenges at the moment are really still gaining that traction. So if you, if you are interested, reach out. <laughs> it's really one thing we've really found is the the scale of misinformation that's out there. There's, I mean, anyone can write a blog on sustainability, but where do they get that knowledge from? Um, social media is flooded with all sorts of fossil fuel companies or plastics companies trying to stay relevant. So they twist their language into ways that make them sound green. And it's unfortunate things like that, which the internet is full of. So the, I, know, I know not everyone can really stay on top of everything in sustainability. It is very, very hard. But I suppose the main thing to keep in your mind at all times is to be aware. Or, even if you don't know it, just if you see a statistic, compare it, fact check it. And there's, there is a lot of truth out there, but there's also a lot of what we call intentional greenwashing, which really should be avoided at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. I think almost everyone can agree with that and the intentional greenwashing, unless you're in the oil industry. And then that's kind of going to be counterintuitive to your business model, I suppose. Um, but but you mentioned that, too. And, and I think that's so important what you just said, too, regarding the fact that just to fact check things and double check things, because we live in an age of uh, misinformation, like you mentioned, even something as simple as like, hey, when you're scrolling through and you see a headline, don't just regurgitate the headline, actually read the article. I know that's something that many people, I think, don't do, and that would uh, make a big difference there as well. Another thing that I wanted to ask kind of within that front, too, is more about this one, more a personal question kind of about yourself. Uh, what have you learned the most about yourself as a founder in the two and a half years that you've been working uh, on this solution and on this problem and, you know, working with a team, growing with the team, working with clients, doing all that type of stuff? You know, what's uh, something that uh, you have found interesting about yourself that you may have learned? We're taking a quick break to talk about the impacts that climate change has on supply chains. So we've spent, of course, most of this episode talking about the impact that supply chains will have on the climate. But really, there's a flip side of that as well. If we don't do anything, that there are a lot of climate change impacts on our actual supply chain itself. This information from Gartner.com, but it's something to look at. So climate change impacts areas in the supply chain. 72% of those impacts are seen in the environmental, as you might imagine. That's increased weather events, water shortages, things of that nature. 44% is the security of supply with 43% in logistics, 40% changing demand for products and services, 38% social, for example, disruption of customers and communities, 37% for our workforce and the disruption of availability of employees, 12% profitability, 2% in other. And how it's broken down is it's split into three groups, transition risks, physical risks, and climate change opportunities. Transition risks arise from policy and market changes as we transition to a lower carbon economy. 
An example of this is if the cost of carbon and regulations on emissions increases, fossil fuel assets may become stranded. Stranded assets are subject to premature write down and don't yield expected financial returns. So for example, transitional risk. Physical risk can be event driven or representative of longer term shifts in climate patterns. This is the increased risk of floods and wildfires, and then a longer term shift, of course, in the increase of average temperature, rising sea levels and chronic heat waves. Climate change opportunities that can be realized as consumer preferences for products or services change or as new markets open for products is the third. For example, we are seeing growth in the adoption of electric vehicles and the association of charging infrastructure. So really interesting there. And there are three actions that are recommended for adaptation to climate change. Number one is to create a sense of urgency for climate adaptation. That's education, engaging across all, all organizations, and that includes investment decisions. Number two is leveraging risk management and scenario modeling. Utilize existing risk processes, analyze a range of scenarios, and assess those impacts of risks. And number three, match action to risks and opportunities. Local site level responses, responses based on portfolio revenue, and responses used to drive enterprise strategy. So those are the three actions for adaptation to climate change, according to Gartner.com. Really interesting read, and I encourage you to go and check that out for more information. But we can learn more as we go back to this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast with the founder and CEO of Terran Industries, Ivana Jane. Very good question. <laughs> what have I learned about myself? I suppose I, really how quickly my knowledge grows uh, will be an interesting way, of, one way of looking at it, I guess. I mean, I've, I've always been sustainability-minded. I've always liked to be able to keep up with the information that's available um like I'm, I'm an avid reader i've got literally thousands of books i can't keep up with them at the moment but that doesn't stop me buying new ones <laughs> <laughs> give me some recommendations well i'm a history buff so if you like history i've got plenty of recommendations <laughs> it's for me it's actually kind of similar to the business it's like keeping up with the scale of knowledge out there and i always thought before I started the business, when I when I um, was back at my previous day job, I thought I was on top of most things that were out there. But really opened my eyes to oh, I really do have a lot to learn, and that's it's fun. I like learning and just keeping up with that education um, is a huge thing for me. Yeah, always a little cliche and maybe a little cringy to say, but you know, lifelong learning. You know, it's always good to be a lifelong learner, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I just think so. I think it's so important. Like you said, it's just a continuous education, whether it's through reading, documentaries, uh, whatever your uh, medium of preference is, is really always really important on that front. So uh, we talked a little bit about the two and a half years that you've been working, how you've kind of gotten to this point, where you're at now and things of that nature. And what are some of your future plans that you have for Terran Industries that you mentioned uh, the new calculator coming up for an assessment? That sounds like an uh, absolute fantastic feature uh, for companies to use, especially in the early stages of potentially working with you. But what are uh, some other future plans that you hope to implement uh, within Terran Industries? At this stage, we're exploring the idea of producing workshops uh, would be our next step. So full-day workshops, half-day workshops on a range of business-related sustainability topics, whether it um, might be greenwashing, it might be implementation, it might be the circular economy, um, and providing that on-site workshop to a, a business that are coming, on, coming to their offices and being able to 
really work with them for a full day or a half day to educate them on new solutions available. Um, it's it, it, it's in the works at the moment or, or early early planning, I should say. Um, but we'll be doing some of those and potentially some online workshops as well. Workshops are always good. Education, learning, there it is. You can't go wrong with that. And Ivana, on that note too as well, and when we talk about kind of the next steps in, in the future for your clients and your company as well, tell us a little bit about the clients that, that you do serve in terms of uh, location. Obviously, uh, you're in Australia. Are you working primarily with Australian companies? Are you working with companies in, in the Southeast Asia reason, Asia Pacific, the US, Europe, whatever it might be, uh, where are kind of your clients based and where do you hope to continue to work with? Theoretically, we can do 100% remote work. Um, a lot of our clients at the moment are Australian or Australian offices of overseas companies. One client that we're okay, not quite working with yet, we're still negotiating. Uh, they're a European owned company with a Melbourne office down here. So we're, we're liaising with their Melbourne office and would really love to once we've started implementation here in Australia to really help their overseas offices back in Scandinavia or they're, they're a freight company, so they're global. They're literally everywhere. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the stuff is on the ground here. Um, but we'd love to be able to eventually have people on the ground in every country. Always the process, right? Little by little, growing that up. It's a young company now. We'll see where you're at to another two and a half years from now too. And maybe we'll be talking about some of the US companies you're working with or uh, more of those European companies in that range, or maybe just completely dominating the Australian marketplace. So that could be something as well. So looking forward to, to kind of learning more and more about that, Ivana. But um, how else can people kind of find some information about Terran Industries and, and yourself? You know, how can they follow the company? How can they learn more about the solutions that you provide? And, and how can they kind of bring that to you? And then, of course, if there's any uh, companies and, and, you know, and leader executives, leadership positions interested in working with you, you know, how could they do so? Uh, well, we've got our basic website, which I will say is currently a little bit out of date. So if you re reach out on either a contact form, we have a very heavy LinkedIn presence as well. Uh, we can send you through our info packs. Um, all the current information is really available on there. Uh, and then we can go from there and really figure out how we can help you. All, all our solutions are 100% tailored. Customization, there it is. That's key in today's world, right? And that's, uh, again, going back to what I mentioned earlier about what was so cool about the business model is, again, you are the the partners, if you will, and uh, kind of another branch of the company and really working hard to understand their solution and what they're trying to accomplish as well. So I think that's really important too. Uh, Ivana, anything else that you would kind of like to add uh, on the podcast episode that maybe we may have missed? Uh, one thing we do work a lot with, uh, as we work a lot in the trade and freight sector, we have partnered with Import Export TV to promote and showcase sustainable solutions to the sector. So if you are in the sector, you can watch our exclusive TV show on the Import Export TV platform. Interesting. Where, where, where is that? I've never even heard of it, Import Export TV platform. Well, the platform itself is called Import Export TV. You can either download it or oh. go to their website. Um, the show is called The Green Economy. It's all about sustainability and the solutions available to businesses today. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. you learn something new every day. I'll have to go check that out for my own personal self-interest on that front so I can start recommending it to other uh, founders and companies I work with as well. So that's very interesting uh, on that front. Um, Ivana, I want to thank you 
um, so much for coming on the show today and, and for having a conversation with me about um, specifically the solutions that Terran Industries provides, how you can help to optimize uh, companies' supply chains, logistics, as you mentioned, transportation, the freight industries, all things of that nature as well, and then recycling. So thank you so much for, for coming on to talk about Terran Industries and the great work that you all are doing. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. That is the founder and CEO of Terran Industries, Ivana Jane, joining us here on the Talking Solutions podcast. As mentioned before, you can go to their website for more information. Their website is terranindustries.com. That's T E R R A N I N D U S T R I E S dot com dot A U. And then, of course, you can follow them on LinkedIn as well on that front. You can find Ivana on there too, and then across the other social media platforms. But don't worry, the convenience will be in the show notes for you so that you can just do a nice one click and take over and follow and get some more information on the great solutions that they're providing and to stay up to date on that front as well. And if you're interested in working with them, of course, you can reach out and contact them there as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, my turn to ask for a favor in return. If you could drop a review, five stars, always encouraged. And then hit that subscription button so you can get notified for more new episodes. Sign up for the newsletter as well so you can get uh, featured content about the founders and the companies and more uh, positive solutions, plus some tips about being a more sustainable consumer as well so that you can kind of start creating your own little circular economy action from your home as a consumer, not necessarily if you are just a business owner on that front as well. So I appreciate everybody tuning in for this episode of the Talk of Solutions podcast. And as always, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and I will talk to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Talk and Solutions podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talkin' Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talkin' Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.